Father, how grateful we are for the fact that you love us, that you have provided absolutely everything that we need. And one of those great gifts to us, really great gifts, is the Word of God. And as we consider it now, how we invite you to be exalted, we just open our life up for you to probe and to encourage and to shape and to mold us because it's the best way to do life. And so we're grateful for the opportunity to consider it now. And we do this now with anticipation and with joy. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I was 18 years of age, first or second semester of my first year in my undergrad. And I was taking a liberal arts course. Don't remember what it was called, but it was basically about art appreciation. And the final exam had two elements to it. And one element was you had to write two essays based on two paintings that the professor hung at the front of the classroom where he had to talk about composition, how it's put together, um, the artistic ability, and the message that the artist was trying to convey, in your opinion. One of the two paintings, one of the renderings, was a print of The Last Supper. And the original hangs in the Louvre in Paris, France. In this painting, Jesus is in the center, and six of his disciples are on one side and six are on the other. But in this unique painting, he had put walls of the building they were in, but they were just framed. And you could see right through the walls out into the landscape in the background, and there was some hills and, and a little lake, which is, of course, not in keeping with Jerusalem, the water like that. But it was really a beautiful scene. And as you looked at it carefully, getting ready to evaluate it and write about it, you noticed something, if you were looking carefully, about the portrayal of Jesus that set him apart from the other 12 disciples, not not in a good way. And I'll finish what I'm saying about that later in the message, so be listening for that. This morning we begin a major series of messages, 11 sermons, walking expositionally. So that's basically verse by verse through the book of 1 John. And so if you have your Bible, your hard copy, or your um, device, I invite you to turn with me now, 1 John, he writes five books in the New Testament. He writes the Gospel of John, then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which is right towards the end of the Bible. And, you're, and then he writes the book of Revelation. And so if you're going off to the right there, you'll come to Hebrews and James and the two books of Peter and then 1st John. If you come to Jude or Revelation, you've gone a little too far. 1st John chapter 1, and we're just going to look at the first four verses today. And as I read these verses, I remind you, this is the word of the Lord. John the Apostle writes this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, 
which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to you to make our joy complete. The name of this series of messages are beautifully portrayed in these first four verses. The series of messages, the real Jesus, the real Jesus. The book of 1 John is written not that far removed from the time when Jesus was doing ministry alongside his disciples. The church has, when, when Christ ascends to the right hand of the Father, the church explodes in growth. There's churches of multiple thousands of people. Don't let people tell you that all the churches were really small. They weren't. Some of them were. Some of them were very large. The church is exploding in growth. But the people in authority in that time didn't like this. And so the persecution begins in earnest. That that Pastor Dylan referenced from the book of Matthew. And the persecution begins in earnest. And the followers of Christ, almost all of them, lost their friends, lost their homes, lost their livelihood, lost their freedom, and many of them lost their lives because they were followers of Jesus. The leadership of the early church over the decades, basically all of them imprisoned and died a gruesome death simply for following Jesus. And so when people stand for something on principle that has changed their life, they are deeply committed. You have to be deeply committed because otherwise, if you're facing what they're going to give you, you are going to walk. But a few years have now gone by as John writes the book of 1 John. And the church has begun to waver. Their commitment is declining. They're failing to stand up for Christ the way they have been in the last few decades. Heretical movements have begun to arise within the church. A heretical movement is a group of people that openly and fervently teach things that are in direct opposition to the word of God. And primarily, you can identify these groups by the fact that they will deny the theological truth of the Trinity and especially about who Jesus is. They'll deny something that's absolutely true and absolutely clear about Jesus. The last of the original disciples, because the rest of them have been murdered for their faith, is near the end of his own life. And he writes the book of 1 John under the inspiration and direction of the Holy Spirit. And the book he writes is about the real Jesus. It's divided into three sections, this book. And the first section is about light. The second section is about love. And the third section is about life. And today is going to be a bit of an introductory talk. And the big idea of this talk today is redirected. And it's reflected in the book of 1 John. I've said this many times before. I'll say it again. If all Jesus ever did for us was die on the cross and by doing that offer forgiveness of our sin and saved us 
and gave us eternal life. That would be more than enough. But he wants to do much more than that. He wants, and in fact, insists on being part of our everyday life as the Lord and the leader of our life. And he wants to shape, he wants to repurpose, and he wants our life to reflect him. He wants to redirect our very life. And so through the course of this talk today, I'm going to be talking to you about what's your redirection story. And we're going to look at some vignettes in the life of John to help us understand who is writing this. Because this is important. Because if someone, think about this with me, if someone writes this long letter to you that's very intimate and very direct and very challenging and then doesn't bother to sign it, it's really hard to understand it the way it's meant to have been, the way it was written. It's important to know who wrote the book. It helps you understand. It helps you uh, allow it to be more deeply applicable in your life. And so we're going to look for a couple minutes into the life of John. John is probably in his early 20s when he first encounters Jesus. John is fishing with his brother James on the Sea of Galilee and another set of brothers. All four of these guys end up being followers of Christ. James and John are small business owners set up to one day take over the family business. They have numerous boats. They have employees. This is their future. This is how they will feed their families. This is how they will pass on a legacy, which is a big deal today, but it's a huge deal for them. They're working hard. And one time, and it's recorded in all four Gospels, but you could read about it in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Jesus walks by. They've been fishing all night. They've caught nothing. They're professional fishermen. The fish are not biting. They're ready to call it a day and get some sleep. Jesus walks by and performs a miracle in which they receive so many fish that their boat almost swamps. And then Jesus says to them, to the four of them, including John. Leave everything and follow me. Now, some of us at that point would probably be thinking, where am I going to get an income? How am I going to pay the mortgage? Try, Try to imagine with me, you walk over to your truck, you take off your tool belt, you put it in the cab, you lock it, you walk away, you never go back. You turn off your computer at your IT work and leave. You see the kids off at the end of the day in your teaching role. You lock the door and you walk out never to come back. Because you're going to follow the real Jesus. John is an all or nothing kind of guy. He's a man's man in every sense. And he drops everything, boom, parks the boats, boom, and leaves behind everything and follows Jesus. Has Jesus ever asked you to give up something in order to redirect your life? If he hasn't, maybe you just never noticed, but if he hasn't, he will. Second little vignette. 
In Mark chapter 3, verse 17, we're told that Jesus has picked his leadership crew, of which John is a member. So he's one of the disciples slash one of the apostles. He and his brother James and John have both been chosen. And Jesus looks at these guys, and he did this a number of times. He would take a person and he would change their name to indicate something about them. He looks at John and James and he says, you will be called the sons of thunder. We don't get many thunderstorms around here. I wish we got more. But when we do, what happens? Maybe, maybe your dog freaks out and hides under the bed because it is loud and it's aggressive. Some people have trouble sleeping when there's a thunderstorm. Some people are really startled when the thunder or the lightning cracks. And Jesus calls them the sons of thunder. Do you have a nickname? People sometimes give nicknames to people that they like or they love. Sometimes they give them to people they don't like at all. And these nicknames are descriptors of something about you. I give nicknames to people. People that I like or people that I love. I almost never use those nicknames in front of them. But it's a sign of the affection I have for them. And so Jesus has prayed all night. He has chosen his leadership team. And he makes this observation about James and about John. They are the sons of thunder. And we can infer infer from this that Jesus looked at these guys and said, they have some very intense personalities. Another little vignette. One day Jesus sends out some of his team ahead of him to the land of the Samaritans. He's up in northern Israel. He's heading to Jerusalem, and he takes a path that you would never normally take in those days. He goes into the land of Samaria. Samaritans are an offshoot of Judaism, and there is intense racial and theological animosity and bigotry between these two people groups. And so you didn't go into their territory, you just avoided that, and they didn't go into yours. And it says this in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 52. So Jesus sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them that he and his disciples went to another village. And Jesus is saying, hey, you know, sometimes you share the gospel and people are just not interested. Okay, what are you going to do? They're not interested. But for James and John, their solution was, let's scorch them. Let's kill them all. And Jesus turns and rebukes them because of the way they've treated this people group. There are any kind of people you don't like. See, that kind of thinking is incompatible with 
being a follower of Jesus. Jesus wants to love them. He wants to serve them. He wants to have a relationship with them. He wants to call them out, and he wants to redirect them. John, on the other hand, wants to wipe them out. Here's that statement I talked about earlier. Have you ever said or done anything you regret? Sometimes we make mistakes like I did, but sometimes we do things that are really not good. I've certainly done things that are really not good and said things I really shouldn't have said. And if you think you've never done that, just ask someone that knows you well and they'll remind you of all the times that you have. There's another thing in Mark chapter 10, another little vignette. In chapter 10, beginning in verse 35 of Mark. One day James and John, the sons of thunder, come to Jesus and they say to him, and I'm just kind of summarizing here, we've got it all figured out. And we want you to do something for us, Jesus. When you're done your mission, when everybody's declared you as Messiah, when you have allowed us, and this was the way they thought of him at this point, when you have risen to political prominence and you are the warrior king and you've ridden into Jerusalem on your white stallion and you have helped us conquer the Romans and everything is right in the world and your mission is over here on earth and you head up to heaven and are seated on your throne in heaven, we want you to add two extra chairs in the throne room for us. And because we're such incredibly humble guys, we're going to let you have the middle throne, and we want to sit on your left and right side. We've got it all figured out, Jesus. And the passage says Jesus ends up rebuking them again and says, listen, guys, it's not about being the center of attention. In fact, it says in verse 44, Jesus says, I didn't come here to be served, but to serve. Jesus, like Dylan said, he loves us. And he is willing to forgive us when I misspeak or when I make wrong choices. He's willing to give me another chance. And by his grace, he says, I want to fill you and empower you with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis because I want to redirect your life. And there, let's just be honest here. I'm going to be honest about Scott, about me. There's some things about me that are just not good, okay? And they need to be changed. And Jesus, he's in the business of changing them, of redirecting them. And we are going to discover in 1 John that John ended up being redirected by Jesus. He writes five books in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. And we are told when we can see from these different books that John ended up becoming Jesus best friend, the one whom Jesus loved. He was redirected by Jesus, and we're going to see this and evidence of this all through the book of 1 John. Because if the story ended right where we've gotten up to so far in this message, it would end with John being an arrogant, loud guy 
who said and did regrettable things, who was overbearing, who was intimidating, and very unloving. And so one day Jesus invites him to follow him. He gives his life to Christ, begins to follow him, goes on the journey with Jesus. Some of these very undesirable qualities begin to surface. And Jesus begins to do a renovation project in this guy's life. And the Spirit of God convicts John, and John repents of sin as he's walking with Jesus, and John gets redirected. And friends, when you come to Christ, he will forgive your sin. The Bible says you're a sinner. We all are. He will offer to save you and cleanse you and scrub you clean and remove the shame and the humiliation and the guilt. The Bible says that you will become a new creation in Christ. Not just shined up a little bit, a brand new creation in Christ. And then he will begin, as I've talked about earlier, to walk with you every day. And he doesn't necessarily change your personality. He doesn't neglect your experiences or your relationships. He walks with you every day, and he begins to take those parts of you, one by one, that you are willing to let him touch. Those parts of you that are misdirected, like they were in the life of John, those parts of you that are misdirected, and he will cleanse you, forgive you, and redirect you. And so your personality, your skills, your talents, your gifts, they're not the problem. As you journey with Jesus, he will invite you to repent of those sinful parts. He'll forgive you, he'll cleanse you, he will direct you, and here's something incredibly cool. Out of that redirection will come your greatest ministry, your greatest impact in life. And you will be part of something so much bigger than you that will make a difference for all of eternity. And so I ask you, how is God redirecting your life right now? So some of us go, well, you know, Jesus, uh, I'm your follower, so give me money, or, you know, help me with this, or give me a spouse, or I really want children, or I want, you know, I want to be an authority, or I want to have a ministry. And, and Jesus says, um, you know, I love you, and I'm going to examine your heart and your motives. And it could be that what you want is not good. And because I love you, and I know what's best for you, I'm going to say no to that. Or maybe he'll say, well, that's not necessarily a bad thing for you, but it's just not the right time. Or it's just kind of misdirected right now because your motives are kind of of shaky. And so we'll get to that later, but i got to redirect some things first. You know, I absolutely love the fact, when you read the story of John, that Jesus doesn't observe John and say, I'm done with you. You're such a mess. I'm tired of you. You're frustrating me, John. You keep saying and doing things that are way off the rails. You're an unloving jerk in some ways. 
No, Jesus says, I love you, John. And I'm going to go on a journey with you. And I'm going to redirect you. And friends, that is the heart of God for you. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And so over time, John has changed, and he literally becomes one of the inner three. There's 12 disciples. He becomes one of the inner three, the close confidants of the Lord Jesus. We're told, as I referenced earlier, that he becomes Jesus' best friend. When Jesus is dying on the cross, he says to John, John, take care of my mom, which was basically like a sacred duty in that culture. It's interesting to me that his other siblings, he doesn't say to any of, Jesus doesn't say to any of his siblings, you take care of mom. No, no. He says to John, you take care of my mom because John, your life has been redirected. And so as you read through 1 John, and I encourage you to do that, begin reading through the book of 1 John. We're going to spend 11 weeks in this book. Read through it with these things about John, what we've talking about in mind. And we're going to find this very selfish man has been changed by Jesus into a servant. We're going to find that this very selfish man in the book of 1 John is, is saying to the people, my dear children... We're going to find that 40 different times he talks about the love of God in the book of 1 John. We're going to find that in the book of Galatians chapter 2 verse 9, that John, over time, because he's gone to the university of Jesus for three years, John is now in the early church, it says in Galatians 2, a pillar of the early church. And after Jesus ascends after the resurrection, the first of the 12 disciples, well, Judas kills himself because he did all that wrong stuff, but the rest of the disciples that remain faithful, the first one that is martyred is his brother James. In Acts 12, we're told that James is put to the sword because he's a follower of Christ. And eventually, over the decades, all of the disciples are martyred for following Christ. History, there's some historical documents outside of the scripture, so I carefully mention that, suggest that they took John and they tried to kill him by boiling him alive in oil. John is a tough dude. John is a man's man in every sense because he would not stop speaking about that Dylan wonderfully reminded us of earlier. Listen to what he said. That's good stuff. He would not stop, John would not stop speaking about and serving Jesus. So they end up, they can't can't seem to kill him or whatever. They exile him to this little island of Patmos, off the coast. It's just off the coast of Turkey. It's this desolate, wind-blown, which we can all relate to, you know, sort of just rocks, nothing there, where he eventually dies. He dies a thoroughly redirected man. Okay, we're done the introduction, and now for the sermon. 
Just a little bit. It won't be too long. These first four verses of John says this. This book is all about the real Jesus. John, when he writes this, is now an old man, 80, 90 years of age. As I said, the church has begun to waver. Heresies are cropping up. Doicism, Arianism, Gnosticism, all coming forward. And he writes this book gently but very firmly like a grandfather speaking to the grandkids, warning about these people, talking to us very directly about what God has for us. And these heretical movements which deny the orthodox truths of the Scripture, the ones that everybody that's a follower of Christ, that actually believes the Bible, will all sign off on without exception. All of these heretical movements, in one way or another, deny the, what we call the incarnation of Christ. That Scripture teaches, and you will not understand what I'm about to say. This is one of the mysteries of God. The scripture teaches us absolutely clearly that Jesus is 100% human and 100% God. Not mixed together, not appearing in modalism, it's called. One time he wears a mask like Jesus, next time he's like Christ. and It's not like that. 100% human, 100% man. The theological term is the hypostatic union. And all of these heresies, in one way or another, deny who the person of Jesus is. Just like the modern manifestations of those heretical movements that are still around here today, like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. Nice people. Very sincere people. But absolutely not on the same page as the Word of God. Absolutely not on the same page about who Jesus Christ is. Okay. So they believe fundamentally different than what the Bible teaches and what God says about himself. And so John John approaches and, and, and deals directly with these heretical movements in the first four verses. And he's saying, Jesus really did what he said he did. And Jesus really was who he said he was. And he says, I, along with many others, were eyewitnesses to these things. And so he writes, beginning, for example, in verse 1, he says, that which was. The Greek tense and usage of this verb, was, means in existence when creation happened. This is, for example, where the Jehovah's Witnesses will try to put the definite article in there and in John chapter 1 and say, no, no, Jesus was a created being. Not so, according to Scripture. And so the verb here means he was already in existence when creation happened. He did not come into existence. And then there is ongoing affirmations of this truth. Let me read the rest of those verses again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. 
In other words, uncreated. We proclaim to you that what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So I'm looking at the painting, the print of this exquisite painting that hangs, I think it still hangs in the Louvre to this day. Like I said, the walls are just frames, so you can see right through the walls. Beautiful landscape in the background. And when you're looking really carefully at this, getting ready to write your evaluative essay about it, art appreciation, all of a sudden you notice something if you're looking really carefully. All the bodies of the disciples are solid, and you can't, like any normal body, you can't see through. But when you look at Jesus, you see the outline of Jesus, you can tell it's Jesus, but all of a sudden you notice, you can see right through in particular his torso, and you can see the hills in the background, and you go, ah, Doicism, the modern expression of it. One of the early heresies that still exists today, misrepresenting who Jesus really is, because the Doicists would say, Oh yeah, Jesus was God, but he's not human, not fully human. He only appeared to be human. He's a kind of, listen to me carefully, a kind of avatar. Does that sound familiar? Always view things critically, whatever you see or read, always view things critically through the lens of Scripture. He appears as a kind of avatar, because for Doasis, Jesus not being fully human, they would say his sufferings were only apparent, but not real. And so John says, this is heretical teaching. Let me tell you about the real Jesus. Let me tell you about the truth about Jesus. Jesus is fully God. He's 100% God, uncreated, but he is also 100% human. I heard him. I saw him. I touched him. I ate with him. He is all man, and he is all God. He is the real Jesus who desperately wants to redirect your life if you will let him. I'm going to invite you to just bow your head and close your eyes for a minute. And I'm just going to invite you to pray and say, Jesus, is there something that you want me to give up? Is there an area of my life that you want to do a renovation project on? And if you have the courage, and it takes courage to pray this way, to say, I'm available, I'm open. You can do whatever you want in my life because I'm all in. And frankly, that's exactly what Jesus is asking for. So take a moment. I'm going to give you a moment to think, to pray, and see if the Spirit of God says something to you.
Then in verse 4, John says, okay, guys, here's my big goal in the next five chapters, okay? I've got a number of things I'm going to be aiming at, but here's my big goal. He says in verse 4, we write this to make our joy complete. That's the heart of God for you. He's got good things for you. Like Dylan said, he loves you, loves you perfectly. He also wants to redirect you. This is what the heart of God wants for you. I'm going to bow now and we're going to pray. One of our leaders, uh, Jeremy Swatsky, is going to be up here at the front, my right, your left. Jeremy, be honored to pray with you. If there's anything, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be exactly about what we talked about today. It could be anything. And he'd be honored to pray with you. You know, and if you're kind of nervous about coming up front, just kind of stay seated for a minute and then get his attention. He'll come over to you, okay? We're going to conclude our time together now in prayer. Kind Father, how grateful we are that when you see the real Scott or the real us, like you saw the real John, you didn't just get frustrated with me or with them or with him and say, I'm done with these people. This is one of the things we so deeply appreciate and love you for, that you're willing to go on the journey with us, that you don't force but you invite. And so, Father, may each of us have the willingness, like John did, to hear some tough stuff from Jesus where it's needed, some loving stuff from Jesus, some forgiveness from Jesus where we need it, some cleansing from Jesus where we need it. And may you, may you do the renovations, may you redirect us, and may we be ones that are used for your glory, for your glory and your praise. And we ask these things now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless.